0: Uh, Today we're going to be looking at uh, one of the most curious characters in Scripture. Uh, It's a very endearing character, and it's easy to identify with this character because he's so utterly human. He's so relatable. There are moments when we see this character absolutely say outlandish things. Outlandish, just like, like seriously... Uh, Start speaking and then think, or start doing and then think. Uh, At one minute we're gonna see him promising undenying devotion to Jesus. And then at another minute, we're gonna see him uh, saying and swearing that he's never even met and doesn't even know a person named Jesus. What an interesting character. Um, There's times when he's very just ordinary, and perhaps when in his profession. He was vulgar, uh, perhaps strong-willed, stubborn, full of himself. Does this sound like anybody you know? Uh, before you start saying it sounds like the person to your right or to your left, or one of your friends or family members, there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. That's a character that we're looking at today, and we're, we've come to First Peter, and I uh, just want to... So we talk about the author here for just a moment. I want to focus on his life journey and transformation a little bit, but real briefly. I invite you to go back and think about that. But uh, I bring that up because we're, we're dealing with, um, when we start meeting Peter in Scripture, uh, namely in the Gospels, uh, we, we, we tend to see a cocky and arrogant um, uh, someone and as he's now writing 1 Peter and next week as we look at uh, 2 Peter, we see a humble Peter. We, we see someone who's changed. And uh, this gives you hope. This gives me hope <laughs> because we are that person. And God is so deeply committed to Peter and so deeply committed to folks like Peter that God's able to transform them. A uh, the case study I would uh, use would be looking at his... Um, his earliest work of writing, uh, which is actually the gospel according to Mark. Mark wrote it, uh, but Mark is the scribe writing for Peter. Uh, these are the events that Peter saw and was giving to Mark, and, and Mark wrote those down for Peter. And some commentaries say that, aha, that's why there's this immediacy and this quick nature of flowing events in the book of Mark because Peter is just that way. Um, Some commentators say, oh, that's exactly why we don't see some of uh, Peter's less noble actions recorded. There's some omissions in the gospel according to Mark. Uh, The commentators don't say that that's necessarily the case, that that, that Peter let those out. It could have been that Mark, as a close friend and colleague, um, initiated it to be that way. We don't know. It's a mystery. Um, But what we do see is in 1 Peter, written around A.D. 63, uh, some years after the Gospel of Mark is written, he's writing to encourage a persecuted church. There's a church that's going through trials and hardships, uh, living there in in the Roman province. And then in 2 Peter that we're going to look at next week, it's even written a few years after 1 Peter, and it's basically Peter's farewell speech, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that farewell speech next week when we look at it, but it's um, church historians, Tertullian, Eusebius, Origen, that are all in agreement, early church uh, historians are saying that uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Um, wow. And so Second Peter, which we'll look at next week, he's giving those folks this circular letter Uh, that was going around to encourage those believers. He's giving them his farewell speech. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I feel that the end has come near. Speaking of his own life. Uh, His audience, his audience here in 1 Peter, he's writing to a mixed bag of Christians. There's uh, Jewish Christians, those that had held on to the Old Testament. Again, there's this transition taking place. Uh, And then there's Gentile Christians. And they're all living together, as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world. In that world, it was the Roman province uh, of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter, he Peter is going to start telling you uh, sort of who he's writing to. It's always good to look in Scripture about who's the audience here. That's always a good uh, Bible tip and study question Who's this letter even intended for? Well, chapter 1, verse 1, he tells you, Peter's writing to, he mentions a place called Cappadocia. Cappadocia is uh, one of these uh, Roman provinces of Asia Minor. And if you go back and study this place, it's a place of underground cities built into the soft rock. Some of you may have even toured there. I'm yet to tour there. I can't wait to make it out to that part of the world. But these people, uh, this is where the underground church was. This is where we get the word underground church. That some of our brothers and sisters in China and other parts of the world uh, who are worshipers of Christ are worshiping Christ sort of in an underground way. Um, it's where they hid from oppression. This is where they ran and hid in that underground city. And Peter is writing to these folks to encourage them in the midst of uh, all the oppression they're going through. There's a final greeting that he gives in chapter 5, uh, if you flip all the way to the end of 1 Peter. And we discover that Peter is writing from Rome, which Peter calls Babylon. That's curious, isn't it? Why is Peter calling Rome Babylon? Peter is thinking back of how Jeremiah, chapter 1551, also spoke about unjust nations around the world. And so he's referring to that as Babylon. That's what a Babylon is. This is an unjust, oppressive country anywhere in our world. Uh, four major themes that I caught as I was uh, reading, studying through First Peter. One is God's people have been misunderstood and have been a misunderstood minority from the very beginning. There's dark spiritual forces of evil at work inspiring hatred and violence. And God's people have been exiled from their true home and future renewed creation. That's a big theme happening in 1 Peter. Second major theme I saw is that Christians should have an expectation of hostility because we're still living under the rule of a different king, namely Jesus. We live under a different king. We pledge glad allegiance to a different king. And therefore, we should expect hostility. But why? Because Jesus was unfairly treated, was murdered by corrupt and human powers, dying for the very uh, sins of the people who's crucifying him, and yet he's vindicated and given resurrection life by the Spirit. And so it's Christ who has exalted his king over all human powers. That's a lot to take in. First Peter mentions a third theme, and that is God uses this persecution. It's not all going to be fruitless, but God has a purpose and uses this persecution as a gift to show others the surprising generosity and love of Jesus. We'll quote from chapter 5 here that says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you, to him be dominion. That is to Christ, our king, be dominion forever and ever, amen. There's a fourth theme, and that is that humility, humility is fueled by the hope of Christ's return and victory over all evil and all injustice. So as we live in this world, As we live in San Francisco, and as Peter is writing to those who are living in an unjust world, full of oppression, um, Peter himself is going uh, to, again, as we said earlier, going to be crucified upside down during the reign of Emperor Nero. Uh, During all of that, we're to live in humility. And it's with an eye on the future of Christ returning. So, That's the topic we're going to look at right now, this sample passage uh, regarding humility. So thanks for listening to the summary of 1 Peter. Now we're going to get into a sample passage of 1 Peter. I've chosen 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. And I'm asking, what does humility look like? Or you may ask it, how do you grow in humility without bragging about it? Thanks for catching that. How do you grow in humility without bragging about it? See, you could learn a lot today and go write a book about humility, but you can't brag that you wrote the book on humility. You've lost your humility at that point. Notice the incentives here as we start reading this verse. I want you to listen to some incentives for humility. Because if you're doing some sort of cost analysis as you listen to this talk on humility, there's some incentives for humility. It says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's an incentive. Here's another incentive. At the right time, God will lift you up in honor. And one more incentive. God cares about you. So let's read these three verses. All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. I have to say in talking about humility, anyone right now that feels like they don't need to hear a sermon on humility is proving uh, that they do. Anyone who's thinking of someone else and they're, they're telling themselves, man, I wish so and so was listening to this sermon on humility. Uh, we have blinders on. Every single one of us struggle with this thing called humility. Muhammad Ali, you may remember him and his quote on humility uh, when he says, When you're as great as I am, it's hard to be humble. Or Ted Turner who said, if only I had a little humility, I would be perfect. Or Joe Namath, I can't wait until tomorrow because I get better looking every day. Or Friedrich Nietzsche says, humility is the cornerstone of a weak and reactionary slave morality. Or Jesus Christ, God blesses those who are humble. For they, one day, will inherit the whole earth. Be humble will not draw a crowd. That message, that talk, is not going to draw a crowd. Uh, That is not the self-help book that's flying off the shelf of how to be humble. And your next job interview, whether it's for entry level or the CEO, they're not going to ask you, how is your humility quotient doing? It's not a popular topic, yet Harvard Business School, in a recent study that I read among uh, 1,500 workers from China, Australia, Germany, India, Mexico, U.S., said that the best leaders are humble leaders. Forbes, in a recent article called The Paradox of Humility, in American business and society. They say, American culture does not prepare us for this approach to leadership, nor does academia. Humility has a deep embedded place in religious history as a certain and central tenet of most faith teachings, but it is rarely referenced in American business teachings. And it is certainly not what we teach in American business schools. On the contrary, we teach students to be aggressive, distinguish between themselves, stand apart. So, we're back to our original question. What does humility look like? I'm going to try to present three that comes from our passage here. The first one is relate to yourself in humility. That's the first step. You want to grow in humility without bragging about it? The first ways to do that is in how you view yourself. Verse 5, it says, Peter is saying, dress yourselves in humility. He's using an image. We all got dressed today. Last week we were, as a church, at Beta Breakers. We saw some that weren't dressed, so don't imagine that. Uh, Imagine we have clothes on, and that's part of our humanity. Peter knows that. He's tapping into an image that we can relate to. Why? Because it is a continual thing that we do. So is humility. So is putting it on. Again, it's repetitive. Again, put on, he says. Dress yourselves in humility. So it's a mindset. That's what he's getting at. He's giving us an image of putting it on, but it is a mindset of how you and I either view ourselves or we don't. And the Bible talks about this in other places, about dressing yourselves with Christ. Put on Christ, it says. Put on the gospel. Put on good news today. So constantly dressing yourself with Christ. Waking up again tomorrow. You take a nap today and you wake up, putting on Christ. Seeing myself in the way that Christ sees me. That's the first step towards humility. And Peter, uh, as he uses this phrase, dress yourselves with humility. Who do you think Peter's thinking about? He's thinking about Christ, who dressed himself in humility. Whenever Christ there in that last supper, before Christ is gonna go be crucified, what does Christ do? He dresses himself in humility. It says with a servant's robe and a towel, and he washed the feet. Peter's thinking about that. And as we said from the top here, we're talking about a changed Peter. This is a different Peter who's writing 1 Peter than the Peter who's contributing to the Gospel of Mark. the cocky, put your foot in your mouth type Peter. He's experiencing humility. So humility is intentionally placing yourself and making yourself low. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not viewing yourself with any less value or worth. But it's remembering how Christ clothed himself with humility and served others. And so one of the ways God teaches us humility is to allow us to experience trials and suffering. I don't like that. Even as we say that, I don't like that. Yet it does and have has the opportunity of tenderizing us. So when we experience failure, God restores us. When we experience sin and God forgives us, this is what Peter is experiencing. Two types of pride I want to mention here. When we say the word pride, it doesn't mean that you're proud of something. It doesn't mean that you've been excellent and you've won an award, um, and, and you're proud of it. Um, in the Bible, uh, being proud and prideful is different than that normal sort of humanities experience of being proud of something, one's heritage or accomplishment. In the Bible, it means a hard-headedness towards God. It means that I know better than God. I will control my own life. I'm in charge. You see where all this is going. Um, that, that's pride in the Bible. And so here, there are two types of pride I want to mention, what, what I would call high pride and low pride. High pride and low pride. High pride, some of us think way too highly of ourselves. We just do. That's a type of pride. Um, and, and the image here is a mirror a mirror, uh, Viewing yourself and others like a mirror. Everyone and everything around you makes you think about yourself. That's the height of narcissism, is it not? Uh, which comes from uh, Narcissus in Greek mythology. If you ever took a class on that, you remember Narcissus. He was distinguished by his beauty and was promised to have a long life, provided he never recognized himself. Yet... Uh, One day, while gazing into the water, he, he, he recognizes an earlier version of himself and falls in love with it. Falling in love with himself. It's narcissism. And then he commits suicide. So growth and humility for you, if you have high pride, thinking of yourself way too highly, it would be to view yourself like a window instead of a mirror. View yourself as a window where you can see that people are God's image bearers. So instead of relating to others and seeing them in a way that only points right back to you, we begin to see ourselves and others as a window where we begin to see that God has created this person as an image bearer of God. Uh, Humility is not being overly impressed with your own importance, your own wisdom, your own strength. Your own decisions. Wishing everyone else had arrived like you. That's high pride. Low pride is almost just the opposite. Some of, and by the way, some of us think way too lowly of ourselves. And I'm mentioning this because I think it's a type of pride. I think low pride and high pride are still pride. still self-focused and self-centered. And so if you're a Christian and you're utterly filled with self-examination and self-loathing like all the time, you're constantly focusing on your failures and what you did wrong and what you need to do better the next time, terrible things you don't like about yourself. You constantly remember all the times you've failed and ruminate over mistakes you've made. Growth and humility for you if that's the type of pride that you're struggling with is to remember that humility does not mean hating yourself. That's not what humility is. It's to know that God is not fixated on your weaknesses. You might be, but God is not fixated on your weaknesses. God is not, the first thing he thinks of as as God is looking at you are weaknesses of yours, mistakes you've made, failures that we've made. And so the call there would be to don't act like you know more about who you are than God knows about you. And so for a Christian, God calls you his beloved. This is, again, you want to grow in humility? We've got to learn how to view ourselves. That's a very first step. And God calls you beloved. And that's hard for some of us to imagine ourselves as beloved. He calls us friends, coworkers, treasured possession. He says in Psalm one nineteen that you are wonderfully made. Go read that. He's talking about you and how he thinks about you, how he views you. He's inviting you to view yourself in the same way. Or Ephesians chapter two verse ten that he refers to you as his poem or his workmanship. And then in Psalm fifty six verse nine. It's very simple but profound. He says, God is for you. That's how God views you. He's for you. So how do we grow in humility? How do we do this? I think it's to repent. Repent of pride. High pride for some of us. Repent of low pride for others of us. Repent and embrace God's love for you. Reflect on God's love for you. Uh, A few reflection questions here to consider as we are closing out this first point here. Am I constantly focusing on my weaknesses or my strengths, viewing myself too highly or too lowly? That may be a common mindset that you find yourself in all day long. How am I doing Another reflection question is, am I remembering my identity in Christ that assures me of love? All right, lots to think about there. Let's move on to the second uh, thing that humility looks like, and that is to relate to one another in humility. And by the way, these aren't like sequential steps that once I get finished with the first one, I'm good, I never have to do that. No, no, he's saying dress yourselves in humility. You need to toggle back and get back on number one again and then go back into here number two and then as well number three. Second one is relate to one another in humility. Verse five is telling you here, uh, dress yourselves in humility towards one another and it means putting others above yourself. Let's be honest and real. This is very hard. Viewing them as more important than yourself is how other places in Scripture talks about this. And we fear being humble, don't we? We fear being gentle, don't we? Because, I mean, what am going what's going to happen to me if I do that in this relationship? If I humble myself in this relationship or at my job, I'm going to get taken advantage of. Uh, what if I'm the only person that decides to do this? I'll be eaten alive and then laughed at. We fear humility. But yet humility frees us up to be less concerned and less driven by what others think about us. Confidence in God. Confidence in how God views you frees one up to be so less controlled by or so less prone to control others. St. Augustine, the great African theologian and writer, uh, writing in 3rd century says, uh, if you ask me what is the first precept of the Christian religion, I will answer first, second, and third, humility. Of utmost importance. Almost an undeniable mark of Christ working in our lives would be humility. So imagine learning to laugh at yourself. Imagine learning to not take ourselves too seriously. I believe this is one of the the, um, healthiest spiritual exercises that we can uh, learn to engage in. (laughs) Learning to laugh at ourselves. For it's when we take ourselves and we begin to take others too seriously that we're very prone to offend someone else. We're very prone to get offended. And St. Augustine puts himself in perspective here by using this self-deprecating humor. Maybe you've heard this quote before of St. Augustine. Famously, he says that before his conversion, he had prayed to God, God, give me chastity and self-restraint, but don't do it just yet. He's already teaching us something there about how to view yourself. Don't think so highly of yourself. Don't be so serious about yourself. Imagine embracing feedback and even criticism instead of acting like we know it all. Imagine what that freedom would feel like and look like as we dress ourselves in humility towards one another. I'm thinking of a silly example of my father teaching me to ride a motocross dirt bike You know, six or seven years old, and the first lesson I'm getting is not only how to sit on the bike, but where the brakes are. And as I remember the story, I was very self-confident, and I was just pushing my dad's hand away from those brakes. I don't want to hear about the brakes. That's total pride. It's total arrogance. And I want us to imagine being open to feedback. Being open to criticism. Admitting we don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to be the one with all the new insight. I don't have to be the one that's going to say it in a certain way and be viewed in a certain way by others. This is what humility does. Imagine dialoguing instead of debating. This is what humility does. As we dress ourselves and we relate to each other in humility. Dialoguing instead of debating. Listening more than we speak. Listening to someone's story, someone's perspective. Asking questions when you don't understand. Validating others. And creating a learning environment. Or imagine sharing our mistakes instead of acting like we're perfect. Or that we have it all together. And that's because a Christian, someone like Peter, as he's writing, and for you as a Jesus follower, you're beginning to get and beginning to understand that there's no need to in- intimidate others. There's just no need. There's no need to attack others. There's no need to prove yourself. Humility, reflection questions under this point to consider would be when in a disagreement and i better am i better at listening or talking another one is do i habitually consider the needs of others as more important than my own and another reflection question is am i often unnecessarily critical of others or do i speak graciously to others third uh, and final point here is to relate to God in humility. I mean, Peter, Peter gets right to it. I mean, he's telling you to relate to yourself, you relate to others. And again, the incentive here in verse five is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A quote by J.C. Ryle says, pride is the oldest and most common of sins. Humility is the rarest and most beautiful of graces. It's very rare. When we see it, when we get next to it, we're drawn to it. Verse six, if you're looking at the text, it says, humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. And if you're more of a skeptical mindset right here, you probably are saying, yep, see there, I knew it. I knew it, I knew this was all gonna be about God trying to get me under his control, trying to put the straitjacket on me right there. And uh, what I want you to imagine is a good God, a loving God, a merciful, kind, compassionate God. And so humility under God's mighty power would be simply surrendering to the lordship of Christ. It's a mindset, it's a heart that says, I, I, I want to yield to I want to humble myself today as I'm going about my day, even before I go to work today, everything I'm going to be engaged in today. Lord, I'm checking in with you vis-a-vis prayer by saying, I surrender. I'm coming under your authority today. That means you know best, I don't. And that's going to unleash all sorts of security in your life and wisdom, joy, and peace unspeakable, unexplainable. Very mysterious how this happens. So again, pride is is just being this hard-hearted, hard-headed, in particular, about God's commands and God's ways. But imagine power under control. That's That's what humility is. Let's say it again. It's power under control. We lie to ourselves and say, I don't want anything to do with humility because it's just weakness. And I don't want to be a weak person. I was taught to be a strong person. Well, the Bible's teaching if you want to be the strongest person you could ever imagine, you need to come under God's power so that his power is unleashed inside of you and that he gives you self-control. So if you were to think about the fruit of the Spirit, it's listed there in Galatians There are two fruits of the Spirit that actually combine together which give us humility. It's beautiful how this works. Um, One is self-control and one is gentleness. Those two coming together is making humility. We'll use uh, some knowledge here from the book of Proverbs that says it takes more strength to be humble than it takes to be prideful. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 32 says, better to be patient than powerful, better to be gentle than a warrior, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. So imagine humility growing from the inside where God dwells inside of you. You can't leave here right now after this saying, you know what, what I've heard him say is I need to go work hard to be humble. And I'm just going to do it. I've I've dreaded it for years, and you know what? It's just time to get serious about it. You've misheard all of this. Humility has grown inside of you because that's where God resides. God brings that and grows that inside of us. So I want you to imagine humbly confessing our sins to God. Again, we'll use Augustine here. His book called Confessions, wow, wow. It's called Confessions for a Good Reason. He confesses his sin. He, he notes his propensity for stealing, gluttony, and cheating as a child and as a teen, along with his strong sexual urges in this book. And he confesses disobeying his parents, his teachers, as well as his thirst for the praise of others. It's a very humble book called Confessions. But imagine being humble under God's mighty power that we can confess our sins instead of defending ourselves. The last thing that we'll look at here is in verse 7 in terms of uh, putting on humility and coming underneath God's mighty power. Are you looking at verse 7 with me? Imagine giving all of your worries I don't know what you came into this room with. I don't know what sort of cares. I don't know what sort of worries. And and sort of visually, isn't it it almost a gift that we can't see that? (laughs) We can't see all the carts and wagons and whatever else we've all carried into this place and into life. But imagine giving all of those worries and cares to God. Imagine that. Look at verse 7. It says, give all of your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. One other translation says, cast. And, And think about Peter. He was a fisherman. Of course he's going to use this language. Everything he's got, cast. Throw all of those burdens that you're carrying, all of those worries, all of those cares, onto God. He cares for you. That's humility. The opposite of that is pride, saying, Hey, you know what? I'm just heading into a worst possible scenario. Happens all the time. The other shoe's going to drop. I know it. I'm confident of it. That's a low pride that we described earlier. That's pride actually happening right there. Or imagining that everything is great. This is high pride that says, self-reliance, I got it, I'll figure it out. I'll network, something good will come out of all this. And the image of humility is to cast all of your cares, all of your anxieties onto God because it cares for you. That's what humility is. A couple of closing reflection questions on, on this point. When I make a mistake... Am I better at asking God's forgiveness or doubling down in self-justification? Or when I'm worried, do I cast my anxiety on God? Or do I try to carry that burden all by myself? Let's pray. Let's pray right now that God would grow humility. Into us. Lord, we we admit that we are a, a prideful people. We, we relate here to Peter. And Lord, we see your grace. We see your grace in, in the life of Peter. At work in the life of Peter. And at work in our lives as well. And God, we, we ask you to continue that work. Grow humility in us. Help us become more self-aware. Help us uh, dress ourselves in humility in the way that we relate to ourselves, the way we relate to others, and Lord, most importantly, the way we relate to you. Lord, thank you for uh, your promises here that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.